Well, I am a book guy. I hope you don't mind. So I'm in and out of scripture. Uh, I always am in books. Carol, you will see, is on her phone. Um, I don't know how you guys have Bibles. We'll be in them a little bit. So if you have Bibles in phones or need one there, help yourself. Uh, we'll be in it a little bit. Um, I am so into books, which is fun. My, uh, I come from a um, coincidentally kind of a long line of pastors. Um, and my grandfather, who worked at a bank in downtown LA back in the 40s, um, used to go on a walk for lunch and go buy used books. Well, in the 40s, a used book was 60 years old. And so one of the books I've been reading is this book from 1914. And it's, uh, it's actually from a series of lectures in the 1880s, um, which is kind of fun. But the book is called The Christian Ecclesia, which is what, Paul, which is what uh, Jared was talking about last week. And the interesting thing about it is he kind of, his basic premise in the book is he can't use the word church because it carries too much baggage which I find interesting in 1888. <laughs> so so his, his, all of his discussion doesn't use the word church at all. It's all about ecclesia. Um, so where I want to go tonight, I want to revisit a couple of things um, in regard to uh, the church itself. I kind of want to walk it through back to the Old Testament a little bit walk us through some of those things, land us in kind of where the New Testament concept is a little bit. Uh, some of this might be review for you, but it's, it's, uh, it's good for us all, and especially me, to kind of rethink some of these things. Um, so let's talk about uh, a couple of things first from the Old Testament. Um, and interrupt and interject and ask questions as we go. So first, um, there's a phrase in the Old Testament, uh, or a word in the Old Testament, and I will probably pronounce it wrong, and I probably should look at my notes so I at least say it right. Um, uh, let's see. Which is either pronounced kahal or kahal. But the truth is, all the word means is assembly. And so the concept in the Old Testament, the concept with the Church of Israel, or with the Israelites, was that they were always an assembly. Never a building, never a place, never a thing. They were always a people. And so Cahal really talks about a group of people um, on common mission, with common goals, headed toward a common direction. And so in a lot of places, um, when you start getting into the later translations of of that, they actually be, they actually begin to use the word synagogue to describe this assembly. Now, interestingly, synagogue and ecclesia are synonyms; they mean the same thing, and they're always talking about a group of people. Um, sometimes there's a sometimes it's the sometimes kahal is is translated assembly. Sometimes it's congregation. Sometimes it's in the same sentence twice, which means it's really the assembly of the congregation. But it's always about a people. It's always about a people. So then the question becomes, how were those people led? How was the congregation led? And the congregation was fundamentally led by 
the heads of families. That's how it was always led. It was led by um, a group. If you go back to, uh, if you, there's a story about um, the Israelites traveling through the wilderness as punishment for not believing God would take them out of Egypt. And in one of those stories, God is, um, God has put them in Joshua. Uh, they've, they, they, they're going to go conquer the town of Ai. And so they go to conquer the town of Ai, and they're all set, and so they get ready to conquer the town, except in the previous battle, God said, look, keep nothing. Burn it all. Burn the houses, burn the animals, burn the burn literally everything. Burn the jewels, burn it all. And so there's this guy, this dad, named Achan. And Achan decides he doesn't want to do that. Achan instead takes a bunch of the spoils of war and buries them under his tent. While they start trying to figure out... So the Battle of Ai comes down. And after the Battle of Ai, the Israelites lose miserably. Thousands of people die in the battle. They're all surprised that they've lost because God told them specifically, go battle Ai, you'll be successful. So they can't figure out why everything goes wrong. And God says, you know, you lost because you've got sin in the camp. Well, and I don't know what that means. What do you mean we have sin in the camp? So they go family by family. So they start tribe by tribe, they go to family by family, and it comes down to the fact that it's Achan's family. And Achan, as the head of the family, is now responsible for all this stuff he took. The scripture says that not only was Achan killed, but God took his entire family, which according to accounts in scripture is something on the neighborhood of about 200, and the earth separates, swallows them up, and closes over them. And God says, do what I tell you to do. Achan's the leader of the family. You follow the leader. And this is the, this is the punishment. All to say, and the reason I bring up that story is not to freak you out about a mean God who doesn't like stealing um, or doesn't like disobedience, but to talk about the fact that it's the responsibility of the leaders in the Old Testament kahal the congregation to point it to God where it's supposed to go. That's their job. So, fast forward into the New Testament. When Christ sets up the new church, he's not setting up anything new because Christ has come to fulfill the law and not abolish it. So as he comes in, Christ says, we're going to call this now the church. This assembly of people now has a different name. It's called the Ecclesia. And this assembly is going to be led just like the family of Israel. It's going to be head by leaders, guys who are sort of the parents of the new family. Because now the family line is not connected by genetics. It's not a genetic family anymore. It's now a spiritual family. And so now you have spiritual dads who are responsible for leading the spiritual family. 
And so when we talk about eldership, when we talk about the leaders of the church, that's where this whole concept comes from. Okay? So it's not that it's not that Christ said, well, wait, we've got this whole brand new thing we want to set up. We've got this whole new idea. Gosh, I don't know how in the world we're going to put it together. I've got this idea. Let's use elders. Well, no, that's not how the thinking went. The thinking got Christ basically said, no, this is the way it was set up. We're just going to continue that concept. Does that make sense? Anything seem weird? Questions? Okay, feel good? All right. I can't think of a place where that's actually explicitly said. No, and you probably won't. You won't find a passage that says this, this is why we're doing it the way we're doing it. But all through scripture, what you have, every time Christ institutes something, it's a vision back to the past. When he sets up the Last Supper with the apostles, with the twelve, really, it's really just a remembrance of the Passover. He's just added new meaning to it. So all the way through, most of whatever, whenever Christ is dealing with things, whenever he's instituting things, and really the church is kind of the only institution he creates, it's really a modification of what was already existent in the Old Testament. And so when, so when the New Testament believers, when the Jews now, especially the Jerusalem Council um, in Acts uh, 16, now become part of the church, they look at it and go, oh, this leadership system makes sense because it's what we've always had. And it's not the priest who's necessarily in charge. It's the, it's the people who have matured inside this understanding. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Um, so that's where the whole concept comes from. It's kind of how it, how it grows out. Paul really does the greatest, uh, the greatest job of defining what an elder is for, defining how it works who they are, what they're supposed to look like. And the truth is the leaders of the church are, um, are supposed to be people who care for the flock, for the group, for the church, the ecclesia. They're supposed to be out of that group who really represent an exceptional care and love and at some level ownership of that group like a good dad would. Okay? And, so the, and so the purpose is always to present... Um, come on in. Come on in. Come in. <laughs> I'm beginning to think I've heard in some of these spots. Come on in. i got a spot here right here for you. How are you? How are you doing? Good. Welcome. And so, when the whole thing starts, um, Paul really is the one who fleshes out what what church leadership is supposed to look like, um, because he is the one as he goes through all through the Book of Acts, as he's setting up, as he's establishing all of these different churches. When he leaves, he leaves people in charge of it. He leaves them a shepherd a key shepherd, someone to pastor it, and then he leaves them a group of men to lead, to keep the scripture whole, 
is really what it comes down to. So, if you were going to say there's a leader of the church or a leader of a local body of believers, a local ecclesia, what would you say are probably maybe three of the key things you would expect them to do? What are three of the key things you would expect them to do? Oh, sorry, the leaders? Yeah. Yeah. People at the very top of the food chain, what would you expect them to do? Well, it appears that from Acts chapter 7 that they're supposed to be helping with the daily distribution of goods. Well, are those... Is that the role of the teacher, the, the people at the very top, or is that the role of the body? Well, I suppose um, the role of the deacons yeah. that, are, that are instituted. Right. Okay. So what if we go a step above that? What if we look at the role of elder? What would you say what well, what would you say a pastor's key function in the operation of the church is? Usually guys who make decisions and and teach people. Okay, so decision making, teaching, instruction. Uh, instruction in what though? What would you say? In the word, okay. So, what would you expect their life to look like? A reflection of scripture. I would think so, right? You probably want them to be knowledgeable in the word. It kind of, um, it's kind of in their marrow, so to speak, right? You kind of want them to bleed scripture, um, so that they can teach it well. What else? Think of like. Like so much of kind of what you said already, like I think they have to have a heart to shepherd the people. I think she- like pastor, shepherd, I think those are like words that we kind of use as titles, but I think even in the most um, conceptual sense of the word is like when you think of a shepherd, you just think of somebody who's like caring for a flock mm-hmm. and all that that entails. And yeah. I've heard caring for sheep is not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because they fight and do other things, like spit at you. Yeah. Um, so I think of like shepherding, and, and then I would also just think like if we're all trying to, you know, serve God and bring glory to God or worship God, like some of it will just have to be like someone who you can imitate, mm-hmm. who kind of like what Paul says, like follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ, like somebody who essentially is just kind of Christ-like. Scary thought. Yeah, which is yeah. scary. Yeah. Um, you brought up the point of shepherd. There are a couple of, one of the key things that an elder has to do is protect. They are responsible for making sure that, um, they're responsible for looking at the word and making sure that the that in their teaching, the word is the thing that is followed, that it is solely based on scripture, not their opinion, not what they think but they really are bound by the terms of Scripture. The other thing you'll see, especially in the book of Jude, is that the responsibility, and that's kind of in 1 Peter 3, it's really really where where Peter says, um, where uh, Peter tells um, the people who are dispersed, feed the flock of God. He tells the leaders of the church, feed the flock of God. That is your job. And he gets that because 
as soon as Christ, the resurrected Christ, comes back and interacts Peter, who's gone back to fishing, the one thing he tells Peter is, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Over and over and over. And so when Peter, Peter gets the message, and so when it comes time in Christ, uh, and he tells the people, tells the church what they're supposed to be doing, it's like, no, the leaders are supposed to be feeding the flock of God. They're supposed to be shepherding the flock. And a huge part of that, if you look at Jude, is the protection of the flock from falsity, from false teachers, from fake instruction, from all of these things that would really detract, detract us from carrying out what we should be doing, to knock us away from, from what, uh, what should be happening. So, let's look at, uh, if it's okay with you, let's look at, um, oh, what's a good place to go? Let's go to, and a bunch of these, let's go to Titus 1. Let's go to Titus 1. That's a, there's lots of passages on this. Um, I'm going to go to Titus 1 because it is, um, it's one of the passages on eldership, um, but it's probably the most succinct. It's very brief. It's a kind of a kind of a short list. Um, so, if the elders are supposed to be Christ-like, Eric, what does that really mean? What's their life look like? Oh. Or, or how would it be distinct from other people in the church? Uh, I would assume they would, they would have to be pretty sacrificial so that they would make certain decisions for the betterment of the flock. Um, mm -hmm. Even if they have to like give up some personal gain for what they could gain okay. for themselves in life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a, a lot of that, like, I think a lot of it, especially in more, you know, in like traditional traditionally organized churches is like spending a lot of time in study mm -hmm. which that's that's a really difficult thing in labor um, yep and obviously God gifts and God gives to to you know teachers and elders mm -hmm. in the church to be able to do that work but so some of it is that like just the time aspect of it some of it is just like time not only in the word but time with the people mm -hmm. um, and devoting much of your waking hours toward yeah. Like talking with people and talking with people about their yeah. spiritual needs or what's going on um, spiritually. So, yeah. the interesting thing though is that all the things you're talking about are required of all of us as believers. Yeah. And this is the thing that's probably the most important thing to recognize. The, comp the, the when you start talking about the leader and the qualifications of the leader, you're really not talking about anything that the whole that the people in the church shouldn't be doing anyway. You're not talking about new things. You're talking about things that should already be going on. So you're talk so when some so in Titus, we'll get there in a minute, when he says an elder has to be faithful, well that's not a new thing. That's just an expectation of what you'd expect of everybody in the church. You'd expect faithfulness to the word or to truth. Um, so let's go down to let's look at Titus one. If that's okay, um, I'm gonna 
pull some things out of, uh, I'm going to use kind of the New Living translation. It's got a little difference in wording. Um, I don't know what translate you've got uh, either uh, NIV or ESV or or, or uh, some other some other translation. That's fine. Um, I'm going to read it out of this because it's got a few tweaks that I think are interesting. So, um, so let's start. Uh, let's go to verse five first. Um, so I left you on the island of Crete, so you complete our work there. And appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. Well, a couple of things. First of all, leaders leave. I left you on Crete. So here's Paul and Titus working together on this island. And Paul says, no, I left you here to do this job. I left you on Crete. And then what I want you to do is every place there's a church in each town where there's a body, in each town where there's an ecclesia, I need you to put people in charge. You need to appoint elders. So right out of the gate, he's not saying, I want you to establish a centralized church government which will then monitor all of these local, local groups. No, what he's saying is, look, in each town where that ecclesia is, make sure there are leaders in that, in that ecclesia. Make sure there's leaders in that group. Appoint elders for that body. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So... Here's where it gets really, really fun. Uh, can I be honest with you for a minute? Every time I read this and teach it, um, God does more work on my heart. Because the bar to represent Christ is so high. I mean, he takes me where I am, which is great. Um, and I am abundantly thankful for that. But I wrestle with sin just like everybody else. I am a new man. I am regenerate. Christ has rescued my heart. But I still, I still wrestle with junk. I still do. God's forgiving, and I'm thankful for that. And you do not get to jump in and agree with me right now. Um, that that would not help make my point. Um, but the truth is, every time I read something like this, I recognize the responsibility that God has called me to. And sometimes it's just hard to kind of get through it unemotionally. So, anyway. Um, so here's the first one. Here's the easiest of them all. An elder must live a blameless life. There you go. Be perfect. <laughs> okay. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. Because if it meant perfect, it would have said that. And how many people live perfect lives anyway? One, who I'm supposed to model my life after, but not be. Christ lived a perfect life. Dan will never do so. Dan will try, but Dan will fail. <sighs> it's just the way it is. 
But an elder must live a blameless life. And, and blameless really means, look, you're going to do it wrong. You're going to have sin. You're going to fall. Make it right. Make it right. If you've done something, if you've offended someone, um, you know, if I've, if I've gotten angry, here's the greatest place. Um, Carol has yet in our marriage to say, I don't know why you're talking to me like that. You're an elder. What she does say is, um, you're not really expressing love right now, which is the thing you should be expressing. As opposed to tying it back to your my responsibility as an elder, what she really ties it back to is my responsibility as a Christian. My responsibility as a believer. And really says, no, love is what we should be expressing. Yeah, so... Um, so yeah, at that point, I've got two options, right? I can either blow her off and say, I have no idea what you're talking about and you're wrong. Or I can stop, examine what's going on, and make it right. Confess it, forgive it, bury it, make sure it's done, and move on. An elder doesn't live a perfect life. They live one blameless. They see their mistakes and make it right. Yeah? I remember multiple times hearing that this meant nothing sticks. Like if you're accused of something, it doesn't stick. And that's about making it right. Um, that's about making it right. If, if an elder doesn't take the problems that we all have in life and bury them and hope nobody finds them. They deal with stuff. They live blameless. So that a charge could never be attached permanently. You can say, you know what? Dan stole from me $100 22 years ago. Well, I always pictured it as stealing, but as soon as I brought it up to him, he gave me 1000 did more than make it right. Well, that's what a blameless life looks like. Gosh, I had no idea I'd stolen from you. Here's more. Because I don't ever want to be accused of stealing. Does that make sense? Blameless makes sense? Okay. Not perfect, just making it right. Let's continue in six. He must be faithful to his wife. Um, if you have someone who believes in um, if you have someone, who, uh, a church leader that practices what I would call serial monogamy, I don't think you'd really say that's Christ-like or someone I would want to emulate. That's not something I'd want to copy. Permanence is something I'd want to copy. I'd want to emulate. Must be faithful to his wife. And his children must be believers who don't have, here's the key thing, have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. Okay? Well, that creates all kinds of questions. It creates all kinds of questions. So, how in the world do you have someone who has two-year-olds and ever let them be elders? It's a great question. It's a debatable point. Um, won't all two-year-olds always be wild and rebellious? Kind of. What you're really looking at is, in this particular passage, I believe, is you're talking about children who have made a profession of faith and then say, I don't want to do this anymore. See, a lot of times we look at kids and we think, oh, here's this six-year-old. 
he's not evil, he's automatically saved by grace. Well, he isn't. He's got to go through a rescue of salvation just like all the rest of us. He has to. And so the question is, at what point do you say, no, just because this kid is unsaved, at six, I think he's still working on being saved. I think mom and dad still have a lot of teaching to do. I think there's still a lot of parenting that has to go on. Would I say the guy should be an elder? No, I'd say, cool, he knows how to handle his family. The other passage in, in, uh, in Timothy talks about someone who manages his family well. So that's kind of the companion passage. But this one, this one says, whose children don't have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. They know the rules. They follow the rules for the most part. They're still, they can still be two-year-olds. They can still be eight-year-olds. They can still be 12-year-old boys doing stupid stuff. But what's their reputation? So, okay. Seven. Uh, for an elder must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Why would you put arrogant and quick-tempered together? Why do you think Paul put arrogant and quick-tempered together? The two of them rarely go separately. Okay. Why are they together? Because they're not apart. No, I need more. Feed me some, give me some more info. Why would, why would they be together? What, what happens when arrogance is challenged? What happens when somebody plays off script? Off your script? Yeah, not rhetorical here, yes. Um, and the question is, is this something that happens quickly? Or is this something that, you know, when someone goes off my script, okay, there are a lot, my instant reaction is not grace. It's not kindness. It's not forgiveness. It's get your butt back on my script and do it now. Well, But I've got to stop for a minute and say, okay, is this something else that's more important? What are the other issues that have to come into play? I have had things in the last two weeks, two and a half weeks, that have totally wrecked my script. Totally wrecked my script. And if I had time, I would tell you the story. But, but the truth is, because that script has been wrecked, I've got two options. I can either, blow, I can either say, you know what, I'm done with this, I've had enough, let's move on, or you can just say, you know what, let's express love, let's do what we're supposed to be doing, let's take care of what needs to be cared for. Let's, instead of looking at this being off script, let's look at it as an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Let's look at it a little differently. All right. Must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker. Kind of weird. Other passages say must not be addicted to wine. Um, truth is, drinking just had to be the thing. Happened to be the thing of the day. 
the question is, it's addiction really to anything? And the, and the concept of must not be a heavy drinker or must not be addicted to wine is really the concept of saying, is anything more important on a routine basis than the work of God, than what God has called him to do? Is it routinely more important? And that, become, that becomes a focus where you start to say, well, maybe, maybe I need to be investigating this. Um, if you're looking at drugs and alcohol, that's an easy one. That's easy to see. Kind of always need my evening martini. Well, I'm not a martini guy. She's a lemon drop girl. I'm more of a scotch guy. So, um, But the truth is, not addicted to. Okay? It doesn't have to be every night. It doesn't have to be all the time. And so then the question becomes, how does this play out? What is this really? Um, are we addicted to anything? Um, my kids, probably more so now than ever before, are kind of addicted to social media. Not Facebook. Beer rating. They go to, they center their life around this beer rating app. Do you guys know what this is? Somebody know the name? No? Okay. There's a beer rating app. And so they will center their life kind of around finding apps, finding pubs to go to, to try new beers so that they can rate them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I think I've seen that app before. Yeah. 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 So when I say they're addicted to it, I don't know, but it certainly keeps their focus a lot. So, okay, so the next one. Must not be a heavy drinker, violent, dishonest with money. You kind of see those as an outgrowth of being a heavy drinker, <laughs> right? Violent, dishonest with money, all these things kind of clump together. These are things that should not be happening. Rather, in eight, he must enjoy having guests in his home. Why? Why should he enjoy having guests in his home? What does that tell you about him? I think it goes back to what Eric was saying about being sacrificial. Mm -hmm. Mm. Means that whatever's his isn't his. Mm -hmm. Why am I willing to have people in my home? Because it isn't mine anyway. Mm -hmm. I understand how I got it. I understand where it came from in the first place. So the fact that I've got it just means it's there to be used. So cool, let's use it for that. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. Wow, devout and disciplined. So what does that look like? Does that mean I'm up at 5.30 every morning to pray and I have to spend three hours praying and two hours studying the Word? And, you know, and then I go, then I try and find time for work, but I don't really have time for that now because I just spent five hours in prayer and study. So, <laughs> right? Okay. So what does devout and discipline look like? Well, in discipline, you know, once I'm done with the, the devout piece, now I've got to be disciplined. So I've got to run my, I've got to run my morning 10 miles and spend an hour and a half in the gym. Okay. So now it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I'm ready to go to work. Except that I've got people to meet with in the afternoon because, you know, they're part of the family, so 
I got to deal with that. So what does devout what does devout and discipline look like? I've always thought of discipline as like consistent. Okay. Good. All right. Any other thoughts? I would say intentional. Yeah, there you go. Kind of discipline. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there is value for the spiritual disciplines, like maybe not mm -hmm. hours. That's a bit of an exaggeration to say five hours every day, but yeah. to have time where you're consistently in the Word and praying and meeting with people, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a given. Mm -hmm. But that might be different depending on what your role is. So I've got a pastor. An elder? Well, maybe. See, and this is what you're talking about in an elder role is someone who's devout. And so maybe you want someone, and if my expectation of them is to protect the truth of God, you better have some time. You better spend some time knowing it. You better some, spend some time in study. And what does that look like? And it better not be, yes, I studied this six years ago. It better be, yeah, I'm still reading this stuff and studying it all the time. So there are things about the spiritual disciplines that are critical, especially in the life of an elder. Um, but the question, but really, what it comes down to is, why would anybody pay a pastor? If this is all stuff we're supposed to be doing, and an elder, the term elder and pastor are really interchangeable in the Greek. So if that's, why would I ever pay somebody to do that? And the concept you have to get to is, no, 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 no. The reason I pay somebody, like Jared, to be a pastor is because I want to free him up from the responsibilities of doing everything else. I'm not paying him for the job he does. I'm paying him so that he's got time to do what I want him to do. And I think a lot of times, a lot of times we look at we look at paying a pastor and we say, oh my gosh, this, why am I paying them for their job? No, I'm paying them so that all the things that I need done or I need the church to be, they can do. I want him to protect the flock of God. Well, what does that look like? That means he better know scripture really, really well. Well, if that's going to take him four hours a day, he can't go to work. So I'm going to pay him so he doesn't have to. So he gets to do this job instead. And so a lot of times I think, especially when it comes to paying pastors, it's one of the, it's, I teach finance and church finance a lot. And one of the things that always comes down is I don't understand why we pay pastors. You're not paying them. You're paying them so they don't have to be distracted, so they can concentrate and focus on what's important for the flock. So, anyway, um, sorry, I got off track. Um, got off track. Rather, he must uh, in, back in eight. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely, and be just. Live wisely. Um, a guy, if a pastor owned three Ferraris, would you say that's living wisely? Depends how big his church is. <laughs> Depends how big his church is. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. The guy comes from money, okay? His grandfather, won, or his dad, 
Well, okay, let's picture this. Here we go. So against my better judgment, I spent $2, and it turns out I am now not worth $2 billion. I thought I might be, but apparently I'm not. <laughs> but let's just for sake, just for kicks, let's just say that I did win $2 billion. My son, who's going to be the beneficiary of all that, ends up with a billion and a half. Okay? So now he decides to go into full-time ministry. He's got a 28,000-square-foot house and a 14-car garage with three Ferraris. Can he afford that? Easily. Would that be okay, kind of, as pastor? I would have a hard time with that. I would have a hard time with saying that there's something about a simpler life which just kind of says... No, I'm not in it for all this stuff, for all the frills and everything else. I'm really in it for the gospel. So, anyway. Something to consider. Devout and disciplined life. Nine, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message. And that's the whole point. You don't want a guy who's going to look at Scripture and go, well, I don't think that's what it says. No, you want a guy who's sold out to the, to the fact that God has written this. In the trustworthy method, in the trustworthy message, he was taught. Uh, my NAS, my New American Standard, says, "Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching." You know what, guys, coming up with new thoughts or new creative aspects. Well, this is what the word meant then. This is what it means to us today. No. You want scripture to be alive and breathing and useful for today. That changes how it's that changes its application. That doesn't change its writing. And so to that extent, it should be what's here. Okay? Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they're wrong. That's the protection part. Um so a couple of things, and it's 8.30, I think we'll try and kind of wrap up. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. A couple more things, clearly. Um, eldership seems to be, is a pattern in the New Testament churches. Paul talks about setting them up everywhere he goes. He instructs those to whom he writes letters to set up elders. Um, one of the heart, if you read um, Acts I want to say 18, maybe 19, um, where Paul is leaving Ephesus and he leaves the Ephesian elders, it just breaks his heart. Not because he thinks the guys are going to do poorly, but just because he's built this bond with them in building up this church. But the truth is, elders leave, pastors leave. And the question is, who's responsible? what is the responsibility of the church? The responsibility of the church is to have elders so that the church maintains its focus and how it works. Um, the other thing is that elders are a couple of couple of quick things about elders, real fast. Um, it's one role in the body. Somebody's got to be the dad. Somebody's got to be the one that's in charge. It's just the way it has to be. It's the way God had it. There is God the Father, and both the Holy Spirit and Christ. Christ says, "I don't do anything." Without my father's okay. 
So there's a, there's a genuine submission to how this thing operates. That's the same is true in the church. You have to have somebody who says, no, this is the way we're going to do this, and let's work together to make it happen. But again, it's just one role. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians 12, you can't really very well look at a body part and go, yeah, I kind of don't need that. I mean, we've all got roles to play. We've all got things we need to do. Um, uh, this is one of my favorites, and I'd like you all to look it up. It's Hebrews 13, 17. And I'll tell you why I like it in a minute. And that is because, well, I'll tell you while you're looking it up. Hebrews 13, 17. The reason I like it is because what I like to do is I like to beat people over the head with 13, 17. It's just kind of one of my favorite things to do. And I'll leave out some of the words because some of the words make it about me and I kind of just want it to be about you. So, <laughs> Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls. We'll leave out the account part. Um, let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable to you. Well, I left out some of the key stuff. The truth is, um, one of the things that's toughest, especially in American culture, is to be submissive to someone else. Is to look at them and go, no, I trust you, I'll follow that. I'm not sure I wholly agree with you, but I'm on your team. And I'll follow what you want to do. Imagine what it's like, well, you've probably all been in situations where you've been in charge of a group. And there are a couple of members in the group, whatever group it is, that don't like the direction you've set, they want to do it differently. They don't really care what you're doing, even though you're the one that's supposed to be the leader. And they're just going to do whatever they want. And the problem with that is it makes the group not very effective, right? Okay? We've kind of all been in that situation. Well, that's the last thing you want if you're talking about the church. If you're talking about an ecclesia, it's supposed to represent God well. And so, the truth... And so... All Hebrews said, all 1317 is saying is, look, you choose to submit to the elders. Not because, not because they're necessarily the boss or there's something else, but because this is what gives the best picture of order. This is the way, this is the way God has kind of built this. And, and I don't want, you don't want the elders to fight to do this. It shouldn't have to be something, oh, people again. No, it should be something they're excited to do. You want it. You don't want to be the burden to them. The elders serve just like everybody else. Their job, very, very hard, but they do so for the common good of the body. They're really doing their job for your sake. So, and the truth is, when it really comes down to it, we're all part of the same body. And the family works together as a body, operating with Christ at its head. And our job as elders is to just kind of lead that where it goes. We've got to live a blameless life, which isn't a lot of fun a lot of times. Um, I will tell you, quite frankly, though, there are sometimes that being an elder 
Um, makes it pretty easy to say no to certain things because um, kind of don't want to be in that position, don't want to go there. Um, but it's harder more than it's easier. So, any questions? Did I leave anything out? Anything that doesn't make sense? Weird stuff. So, can we blame you if we decide to interrogate Jared when he comes back? Uh, I don't think you should blame me. I think you should credit me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I am not at all arrogant. <laughs> or or quick-tempered. Yeah, or quick-tempered. <laughs> well, if I get angry with you, you won't even know it. <laughs> so, yeah. Good. Anything else? Um, I understand that you guys are getting ready to look at eldership. Um, and I would encourage you in that vein, look for people who love the Word of God. Almost more than they love you. You should have, you should have elders who are devoted to the truth. Because the truth will motivate them toward love. But if they're people who are amiable and love to hang around you, and are very social, that's okay, but they darn well better love the truth, because that's what you want. That's really what you want of elders, especially if you're talking about following Christ well. I want somebody who knows what they know. I want them to know it. I want them to be able to say, here's what we're doing and why we're doing it. So, anyway. All right. Do we close in prayer? Yeah. Or do we like uh, throw a party balloons? Oh, uh, we can <laughs> close in prayer. Okay. Good. <laughs> we'll do both. Okay. I didn't bring balloons. I might be a problem. God, I thank you for tonight. Thanks for the chance we had to open your word and talk about eldership. God, I, uh, I pray that we did honor to your word. God, I pray that we handled it well. I pray that we... Uh, I pray that we brought honor to your name and brought no shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, as we process these things through, as we think about them, God, I pray that, I, I, I really pray, God, that this would just not be information, but it would help us to think better and, and live a little bit differently on how we interact with one another in submission, in leadership, in all kinds of things, Father. I pray that you give us wisdom and thought in how to do that. God, thanks for tonight. In your name.